Hey everyone, I'm Dominique. And I'm Heidi. Welcome to More Grats. We're glad you decided to waste some time with us. How was your Thanksgiving? It was great. Good. It was great. Normally we're together, but I know. This year we kind of separated our families. Yeah, and so well, it's getting so big. I know. We're getting we just are getting our families are just getting so big that it's I don't know. I kind of like having a littler group, but I you had all your family there, right? Yep, all yeah. my family and all their kids, so we all made it and unfortunately that wasn't the case yeah, for you. Yeah, I got most of my kids, but there was one that um their little family got sick, so they couldn't join us. But yeah, well, but, at least we all live close, so right, we all get to. Unfortunately, see each other. Yeah. not on the day, but yeah. you know. it's okay. You yeah. know, yeah, that's okay. Hey, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I'm not going to tell a joke. That's your job. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wait a minute. Where are you going with this? <laughs> I want to do you. I want to make your day. Okay. And everybody else out there, if you have a sick sense of humor, do yourself a favor. And Google gooey duck. No, it's spelled geoduck. G-E-O-D-U-C-K. Just go ahead and do it. I don't know what that is. You're about to find out. G- it G- sounds like gooey, like G-O-O. It's G- G-E-O-D-U-C-K, but it's pronounced gooey duck. Okay. <laughs> what? images <laughs> so don't say don't say I, anything I about it i don't even yeah don't say anything about it just okay. go google it because it's <laughs> <laughs> it's something else wow oh you know what, what? It, what? Oh, why i don't <laughs> I know, I know. Just, just do it. Okay. It's, it's freaking hilarious. Yeah, it puts me in a good mood. <laughs> good. Well, before we start, we want to remind you we are talking about death. If you are easily offended by rude humor or foul language, or are particularly sensitive to discussions about death, you may want to pass on this podcast. We are wildly inappropriate at times, but that comes directly from growing up in a funeral home. The way we insulate ourselves is by humor and for us it's a lot better to laugh even when you feel like crying Heidi music is a very powerful medium wouldn't you agree oh for sure it has the power to make us want to get up and dance or it can reduce us to tears well music is an outlet to a lot of people much like going for a jog or stress eating are outlets We find ways to cope with our emotions by releasing them in external ways. So for the athlete, you know, they might go out for a run. And for people like me, we reach for the Oreos. So it stands to reason that musicians write their emotions out into melodies. Some of these are happy little tunes that get our feet moving, but some songs tell darker stories. Hey, Dee Dee. (laughs) (laughs) Yes? Why did the chicken join the band? Why? Because he had the drumsticks. (laughs) Well, today we are going to talk about deaths or other tragic events that inspired songs. And our funeral home story tells of when the Undertaker decided to let an inappropriate song slip into a tribute video. This episode will feature the death of a child. Please skip if that makes you feel uncomfortable. As always, listener discretion is advised. That said, welcome to episode 29. Play Play that that tune. tune. Well, as someone who has worked in the funeral business for a long time, there are songs that as soon as they start, they make my skin crawl. Like, Wind Beneath My Wings, The Dance, Go Rest High on That Mountain, 
My Heart Will Go On. Those are great <clears throat> songs, but I know that at every funeral I've been to, at least one of those songs were played. I can imagine hearing them day after day as part of your job would get annoying. Yeah. Damn funerals ruining perfectly good songs. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes sense for someone to write a song that can be used for funerals. Well, yeah. Songs for funerals and weddings are money makers for songwriters and artists. Yeah. There are a lot of popular songs, but many of them don't have tragic backstories behind them. Well, songs like Drink a Beer, recorded by Luke Bryan, and You Should Be Here, recorded by Cole Swindell, are both very popular at funerals. And those were written for people who passed away, but perhaps not tragically. Lucky for you, we love diving into the macabre, so let's explore some stories behind songs with darker backstories. Well, let's start with two songs written by two superstars. Paul McCartney wrote Here Today, and Elton John wrote Empty Garden for their friend John Lennon. The reason they penned these tributes is because Lennon's life was snuffed out on December 8th, 1980, thanks to one deranged individual. When John Lennon famously quipped, the Beatles are more popular than Jesus, many people took exception to the comment. Mark David Chapman was one. He had been a huge fan of the Beatles and of Lennon himself, but Chapman grew increasingly irritated by the rock star and accused him of being a phony. Chapman was an unemployed security guard going through some, some little mental issues. He obsessed about John Lennon, getting angrier and angrier until he developed a vendetta against the singer. Chapman had a compulsion to carry out this vendetta, so he decided to fly to New York and wait outside Lennon's apartment building. Around five o'clock on that uncharacteristically warm December evening, Lennon came out of the building with his wife, Yoko Ono. The couple was on their way to a recording studio to do some promotion of their recent album. Chapman approached Lennon and asked him to autograph a copy of the new album, which Lennon did. There is a famous photograph of this interaction. After this, John Lennon and Yoko Ono hopped into a cab and went on their way, but Mark David Chapman lingered, just waiting for the superstar to return. Around 10.30 that night, a limousine pulled up to the apartment building. Yoko hurried inside the gate, but John dallied, gathering things from the limo. When Lennon walked through the gate, Chapman shouted, Mr. Lennon, then pulled out a revolver and shot five times with four shots hitting John Lennon in the back and shoulder. Mark David Chapman did not attempt to flee. He stayed right there and waited to be arrested. In a moment of clarity, Chapman recalled he knew what he was doing and he knew it was evil. He also said he wasn't going to be a nobody anymore. John Lennon was rushed to a hospital, but as we all know, he died. In his song, Here Today, Paul McCartney, who of course was a founding member of the Beatles with John Lennon, writes, I still remember how it was before and I'm holding back the tears no more. And in his song, Empty Garden, subtitled, Hey, Hey, Johnny, Elton John sings, he must have been a gardener who cared a lot, who weeded out the tears and grew a good crop. And now it all looks strange. It's funny how one insect can damage so much grain. Another tragedy that spawned at least two songs was the plane crash that claimed the life of young star Buddy Holly. Waylon Jennings, Jennings wrote his song, Old Friend, for Holly, and the Don McLean classic, American Pie, references Holly's death in its opening lyrics. This plane crash was so significant, the event is known as The Day the Music Died. Not only did Buddy Holly perish in the crash, J.P. Richardson, better known as the Big Bopper, and up-and-comer Richie Valens, who was only 17, also died. Richardson was well known for his hit Chantilly Lace, and Valens was popular for his songs La Bamba and Donna. 
In February of 1959, four bands were on tour through the Midwest. As you can imagine, winter in the Midwest is very cold and riding in a tour bus was uncomfortable. Back then, tour buses were not like they are today. They were more like school buses. The performers suffered ailments from the flu to frostbite riding in those buses. Can you imagine getting frostbite from riding on a bus? Right. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. And Buddy Holly decided he did not want to spend hours upon hours cramped up in such horrendous conditions. So Holly chartered a plane to get to the next city, but there was only room for two more people. Holly, being the headliner, of course was going to fly on the plane. Richardson was battling the flu, so Waylon Jennings, who was a member of Holly's band, gave up his seat. Another member of Buddy Holly's band lost his seat in a coin flip. The quote, winner of that coin flip was Richie Valens. So these big stars climb aboard this little plane and they say to their bandmates, see you in Minnesota, suckers, and off they go. Now remember, this is winter in the Midwest, so the weather was not great. Visibility was low and it was snowing. Air traffic controllers at the small municipal airport watched the plane's taillight ascend, veer to the left, then descend gradually. When the pilot did not make subsequent contact, people went looking for that plane. The wreckage was found less than six miles from the airport. The crash was attributed to the pilot's inexperience in flying in adverse weather. This was a major blow to music lovers. It's right up there with the deaths of Elvis, John Lennon, and Kurt Cobain. Waylon Jennings, who was supposed to be on that plane, wrote the song Old Friend for Buddy Holly. Part of the lyrics go, People talk about you after all this time. You were many things to many people, but you were a friend of mine. In American Pie, Don McLean immortalized the crash with the words, bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride, but something touched me deep inside the day the music died. Okay, so those songs have tragedy behind them, but they aren't necessarily funeral songs. These next three definitely are funeral songs. I wonder what songs will be played at our funeral. Dun, 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 dun. Another one bites the dust. Celebrate good times. Come on. <laughs> I want to see you at that door, baby. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> That's what I'd sing at yours. No, I just Ding dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> Yes, we need to die together so that we can have, they can play that song at both of our funerals okay. at the same time. Okay. Right? Right. Well, um, See You Again by Charlie Puth featuring Wiz Khalifa soared to popularity because it was in the soundtrack to Fast and Furious 7 and was written for Paul Walker. Paul Walker was an actor in Fast and Furious franchise and died in a car accident before number seven was completed. A new ending was written for the movie and producers wanted a song that honored Paul for the final scene. Back up to when Charlie Puth was a student in Boston. He was in his apartment and suddenly a storm hits and the power goes out. Charlie calls his friend to see if he has power at his place and the friend says no, he doesn't. So the two decide to go out for a walk. As the two friends are out walking in the darkened city, Charlie talked about how he wanted to be a songwriter. The friend encouraged Charlie, saying, You have talent. Someday you're going to write a number one song. Three months after that walk, the friend was riding his motorcycle over a bridge in Boston and got hit by a truck. He died instantly. Charlie never forgot his friend's prediction and vowed to write a song for him. When Charlie moved to Los Angeles and found out producers were looking for a tribute song for Fast and Furious 7, he sat down at his piano and started playing. 
He thought about Paul Walker and he thought about his friend and 10 minutes later, See You Again was complete. Though many songs were submitted for the film, producers liked Charlie's song the best. As Charlie Puth was putting his feelings into lyrics and melodies, this is part of what he came up with for his friend. It's been a long day without you, my friend, and I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. Well, superstars Lionel Richie and Diana Ross collaborated to honor their friend Marvin Gaye in the song Missing You. Richie wrote the song and Ross performed it, and it rose to number 10 on Billboard's Hot 100 for the years of 1984-1985. Marvin Gaye was a star in his own right, an R&B staple with hits like Let's Get It On and Sexual Healing. With nicknames like The Prince of Motown and The Prince of Soul, you know he was a big deal. But as we all know, bad things happen to famous people too. On April 1st, 1984, Marvin was at the family home in Los Angeles when he heard a fight break out between his mother and father. Marvin stepped in to stop the altercation, but it was the last thing he did. Marvin Gaye Sr. had a gun and shot his son twice. The second shot struck Marvin Jr.'s shoulder, but the first bullet pierced his heart. Though he was rushed to a hospital, Marvin Gaye Jr. was pronounced dead, just one day shy of his 45th birthday. His father was initially charged with first-degree murder, but those charges were reduced to voluntary manslaughter. It turns out that Marvin Gaye Sr. had a brain tumor, which had been undiagnosed at the time of the murder. This was thought to have, been, to have contributed to his vicious behavior that day. In the song Missing You, Lionel Richie and Diana Ross say, there was so much you gave me to my heart, to my soul. There was so much of your dreams that were never told. You had so much hope for a brighter day. Why were you, my flower, plucked away? Well, that's sad, but this one takes the cake. This is a very popular song, and not just for funerals, but a popular song in general. And this is Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven. In my opinion, this is the saddest and most tragic one on this list. Eric Clapton, a rock legend and arguably one of the greatest guitarists of all time, was a bit of a reluctant father at first. He needed calm and quiet to nurture his craft, and there is nothing calm or quiet when you have a baby around. But that changed once he and his son Connor bonded, and Eric realized that being a father was something he looked forward to. Unfortunately, in March of 1991, the worst thing that can happen to a parent happened to Eric and his girlfriend Lori. Lori and four-year-old Connor were in their New York City apartment and they were waiting for Eric to come get them so they could all go to the Central Park Zoo as a family. Lori was getting dressed while Connor played with his nanny. Lori shouted for Connor to get out of his favorite pajamas and get into regular clothes and Connor shouted back, in a minute! During this time, a janitor had entered the apartment and had gone into a room to do some maintenance. In this room were panes of glass, huge windows like four feet by six feet, basically just a wall of glass. Whether the janitor was fixing something on that pane of glass or he just opened it to get some fresh air, I don't know, and it doesn't matter. Connor came racing into the room with his nanny at his heels. They were running and playing. Connor and the nanny were laughing. Then Lori heard a horrendous scream, but it wasn't her son's, it was the nanny. When Lori rushed into the room, she saw the distraught nanny and the empty space where the glass should have been. She knew at once what had happened. Connor had run into the room and right through the window, falling from the 53rd floor. As you can imagine, the grief and pain were almost too much to bear. Eric Clapton said he shut down and felt like he'd stepped into someone else's life. This tragedy inspired Eric Clapton to write one of his biggest hits, Tears in Heaven. 
In the song, he sings, would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? Would it be the same if I saw you in heaven? It's a haunting melody and so full of emotion. It's no wonder people choose this song for funerals, even to this day. Yeah, that's so horrible. How do you ever get over that? I, I don't think you can. <coughs> I just Jeez. don't think you can. Ugh, well, I don't even like to think about it. Yeah, well, let's move on. Oh, but since we are still talking about music, middle C, E flat, and G walk into a bar. The bartender says, sorry, we don't serve minors. <laughs> Jeez. Was that not good timing for that joke? Did it fall a little flat? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, are you ready for our funeral home story? Yes, you know I am. All right. The undertaker knew right away that Jared Jones would be difficult to deal with. The first clue came when the undertaker went to pick up Jared's elderly father, who had passed away unexpectedly while sitting in his easy chair watching Monday Night Football. Jared barged onto the scene and used an, author, an authoritative tone with everyone in the house, the paramedics, the police officers, and the undertaker. The only person Jared showed any respect to was his mother. At first, the undertaker did not think this was strange at all. Being angry is a normal part of grief. This man had suddenly lost his father, and of course he was mad about it. Surely, after the shock worn off, Jared would be calmer. Still sad, but at least not so belligerent. Jared proved the undertaker wrong when he accompanied his mother, Mrs. Jones, to the funeral home to make funeral arrangements for his dead father. He plopped heavily into a chair, crossed his arms over his ample chest and scowled. When the undertaker's wife came to the arrangement room to offer Mrs. Jones and her son water or coffee, the old woman responded pleasantly and requested cream and sugar. Jared just frowned and shook his head as if this was all a big waste of time. The undertaker addressed his questions to Mrs. Jones, but Jared answered for her with a snappy attitude and a snarl that grew meaner with each inquiry. Why do you have to know that? Jared barked when the undertaker asked for Mrs. Mr. Jones's level of education. The undertaker calmed himself with a deep breath. He'd served people like Jared before, and if the undertaker kept his cool, even the surliest people came around and realized he was just trying to help them. The questions I'm asking is information I need for the death certificate. State law requires I gather it. This won't go in the newspapers or anything like that. Jared stuck his nose in the air and sniffed. His knee jiggled up and down and side to side, his face beginning to redden. Maybe Mrs. Jones was accustomed to her son's rudeness. He wasn't only child after all. Because she sat quietly and smiled daintily, sipping her cup of coffee the, undertaker had, the undertaker's wife had brought. After statistical information for the death certificate had been collected, the undertaker began asking Mrs. Jones if she wanted her husband to have a public memorial service or if she preferred something more private. Of course, Jared had an opinion and let it be known before his mother could even open her mouth. He's going to have a public funeral here at the funeral home, then a graveside service at the cemetery, and I want full military honors for him, 21 gun salute and everything. Oh boy, thought the undertaker. Explaining this to Jared would not be fun. Okay, started the undertaker. I'll need a copy of Mr. Jones's military discharge papers. Then this is the process. I send in the request form so the honor team can schedule it. I can ask for a rifle detail, but you need to know not all veterans qualify for that. Just as the undertaker suspected, 
Jared came unglued. What do you mean he won't qualify? That's bullshit. His face had gone from rosy to ruby in seconds. He might qualify, I don't know. That's why we need to send the papers in. The military will make the determination. They have a set requirement for things like a gun salute. Mrs. Jones looked from her son to the undertaker, just sipping her coffee like this was a regular social visit. Jared continued to fume. Any vet should be entitled to a 21 gun salute. That's the least the government can do for them. The undertaker nodded. I don't disagree, but even if the honor team can't perform the rifle detail, our local American Legion can. Would you like me to have them do it if the military can't? Jared scrubbed his beefy hands over his face and shook his head as if he'd heard something truly unbelievable. Well, yes, but if that's the only way to get it done, I want the military to do it. I understand, said the undertaker. I'll make sure to note that on the request form. I just want you to be prepared because most veterans don't qualify for it. That's not to say they aren't worthy of it. He didn't know if Jared was listening or planning his next confrontation. Tension hovered over the arrangement conference, even though Mrs. Jones continued to be thoroughly friendly and accommodating. Jared was either the type of person who couldn't control his emotions, or he was just a jerk all the time. After securing the date and time of the funeral, the undertaker asked if Mrs. Jones would like a tribute video played at the service. If you get some pictures to me, my wife will compose a slideshow. Some people like to have that as part of the funeral, but you certainly don't have to if you'd rather not. Oh, that would be nice, said Mrs. Jones. The undertaker jotted something on his notes. Great, please get the photos to me by Wednesday and we'll get that going. Do you have any special songs you want to go along with that? Mrs. Jones started to say something, but Jared interrupted. Oh, what's that one song? It's an older song. It says, I'm going to be like you, Dad. The undertaker knew exactly what song Jared was talking about. Are you thinking of Cats in the Cradle? The undertaker said and started singing the chorus. Jared nodded furiously and pointed. Yes, I want that one. This was not an unusual request. Many people wanted that song for a tribute video, but when the undertaker explained the meaning, they quickly withdrew that request and they usually grew, excuse me, saucer-eyed and said they had no idea that song was about a negligent father. That was the problem. Most people remembered only those seemingly positive lyrics and thought it was about a boy wanting to be just like his dad. But really, the song told a different, sad story. The undertaker already knew he was in for an argument, but it was his duty to warn Jared. It's a great song, but I don't think it means what you- I want that song. End of discussion. The undertaker nodded and wrote Cats in the Cradle on his notes. Several days later, as the undertaker's wife compiled the tribute video for Mr. Jones's funeral, she called to her husband. Hey babe, it says here they want cats in the cradle for this video. The undertaker sat at his desk and shuffled through some files. Yep. Well, that's a horrible song for a funeral. Do they know that? I tried to tell the son he wouldn't hear it, so go ahead and use it. The undertaker's wife stared at her computer, scrolling through the photos on her screen. I guess there's a chance he knows what the song is about, but from these pictures, it looks like Mr. Jones was a very good father. I don't think the son has the slightest idea what that song is about. Well, should I call him? Maybe suggest something else? The undertaker shrugged. You can if you want to get screamed at. He was adamant we used that song. And you know what else? I can't count the number of people who have told me that Mr. and Mrs. Jones are the nicest people, but their son has always been an absolute asshole from the time he was a child. Nobody wants to deal with that guy. 
the undertaker's wife looked at the screen. Snapshots of Mr. and Mrs. Jones as teenagers, then their wedding, then raising their only child, and finally their golden years. Throughout the montage, it seemed Mr. Jones reveled in being a husband and father. Photos of him with his son showed the progression of a loving relationship through diaper changes, fishing excursions, and sporting events. Mr. Jones definitely was not an absent father. But the undertaker's wife did not want to get screamed at, so she found Cats in the Cradle in her music library and popped it into the video right behind the very lovely song Mrs. Jones had chosen. In the days prior to Mr. Jones's funeral, Jared terrorized the undertaker and his wife, calling incessantly, shouting weird demands, and complaining about the most trivial things that had nothing to do with the funeral, but with Jared's own personal life. During one of the nonsense calls, the undertaker's wife couldn't help but mention Cats in the Cradle. You really should listen to it and make sure it's what you want, she said to Jared and was met with vitriol. Why wouldn't I want it? I'm gonna be like you, Dad. I'm gonna be just like you. Who wouldn't want that song? His anger seemed hot through the phone. But it's not what- The undertaker wi undertaker's wife tried to explain. God, you guys are idiots, Jared said before hanging up on her. The undertaker glanced at his wife. I told you. Finally, the day of the funeral came. Jared complained about the memorial folders, even though he had approved them several days ago. He complained the roses weren't the right color. He threw a fit when he learned the local American Legion would be performing the 21-gun salute rather than the army. The undertaker calmed Jared as best he could on all these issues, and Mrs. Jones even took the uncommon step of reprimanding her son. Now everyone had been seated and the funeral began. From a side room, the undertaker and his wife oversaw the service. The size of the crowd spoke of how well Mr. Jones was respected. Mrs. Jones sat in the front row, flanked by Jared and a family friend. The widow dabbed at her eyes, but sat quietly with a slight smile on her face. Jared crossed his arms over his chest, looking like a child who didn't get his way. The undertaker's wife whispered to the undertaker, I don't like saying this about people, especially those who have just lost someone, but that guy, he's a fucking asshole. The undertaker chuckled. Well, you're about to see karma in action. He dimmed the lights and started the video tribute. Pictures of Mr. Jones projected on the big screen, first as a baby, then as a young boy, then as a young man, then as a married man, all accompanied by the soothing melody of the theme from A Summer Place, which had been Mr. and Mrs. Jones's favorite song. Then the photos segued to the next phase of Mr. Jones's life, being a father. As the familiar stringed intro to Cats in the Cradle began, Jared sat up a bit straighter and he grinned. Immediately, several people in the audience started whispering amongst themselves while the undertaker's wife leaned into her husband. Oh, this is gonna be good. I wish I had some popcorn. The first verse and chorus passed and Jared still had that grin on his face. But as the second verse started, the grin faded and it became obvious he was understanding the lyrics for the first time. More people fidgeted in their seats. More people whispered. By the time the song ended, not even a trace of a smile could be found on Jared's face, and he had slouched as if trying to make himself smaller. The video ended and the undertaker brought the lights back up. He looked at his wife and draped an arm over her shoulder. I love karma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I don't think I've listened closely to those lyrics. Well, it's a horrible song for a tribute to a dad. And you should always listen to the professionals.
Yep. You know, it's not our first rodeo. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Kind of uncomfortable. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember, be kind. Any day above ground is a good one. And finally, keep, keep on breathing. breathing.